Um, but let's jump into God's Word. All right. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. We're uh, going to be in the first uh, four verses uh, of the third chapter of Paul's letter to the Colossians. This is a short epistle that Paul wrote to a church that he had never personally had contact with, but he knew enough about the situation to, to write to them, and uh, there were some, some problems going on that he intended to address, but the, the, the great theme that I see in this, in this letter is how to live a Christ-centered life. How to live a life as a Christian and then corporately as a church that revolves around who Jesus is and what he has done. And really, when you get to the beginning of chapter 3, it's kind of the hinge on which everything before and after turns. This is really the center of, of Paul's letter. So let's read the first four verses together. You read silently as I read, as I read out loud. The apostle writes, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. And let's bow just for a quick word of, of prayer. Father, I pray with the psalmist that the words of my mouth and that the meditations of our hearts tonight would be acceptable to you. In Jesus' name, amen. 2002 action film. Some of you may have seen it. Some of you kids probably think it's an old movie. Matt Damon starred in The Born Identity, based on the, loosely based on the novel by Robert Ludlum. It's an interesting movie to watch. I think it's aged pretty well. Some of you may have seen it. If you haven't seen it, uh, the film opens... Uh, with this uh, young man who's in the water with two bullet holes in his back. He gets picked up by a fishing boat, and uh, they take the bullets out. He wakes up. Uh, they don't know who he is, and ironically, he doesn't know who he is either. It turns out that getting shot twice in the back and getting dumped in the water can, can induce amnesia, and that's his problem. So to figure out who Jason Bourne is, you have to watch the movie. But it made a lot of money at the, at the box office, so it turns out you have to watch several movies to find out who Jason Bourne is. And even by the last one, you're still not, not quite sure. But there's something really compelling about watching the film. And I, I don't think it's just the, the actors, although there are some good actors. I don't think it's just the shaky camera, although people like the shaky camera. There's something more compelling about that because, uh, than those things. As you watch the movie, 
you're watching someone who doesn't know how to behave in the world because he doesn't remember who he is. That's his struggle. He doesn't know what he is supposed to do or how he's supposed to act in these different situations because he doesn't know who he is. People who don't know how to live often don't know how to live because they can't remember who they are. Now, while clinical amnesia, like he experiences in the movie, is dangerous and kind of terrifying, for Christians, Paul is helping us guard against something different, not clinical amnesia, but spiritual amnesia. The danger for us in spiritual amnesia is to wake up, maybe on a normal day as it were, but forget who we are in Christ. To to, to forget what it really means to be someone who is in Jesus. The bulk of of chapter 2 leading up to the verses that we just read a moment ago uh, in that chapter, Paul was concerned with emphasizing, emphasizing two things. First of all, the reality of Jesus' sufficiency. That is, who Jesus is and what he provides, what he offers for these believers in this little church in Colossae who are believers in him. But he doesn't just emphasize the reality of Jesus' sufficiency, the reality of all that Jesus provides and gives to those that follow him. He also gives a warning in chapter 2 against supplementing that sufficiency. The the two concerns that Paul is probably dealing with for this church are, are pagan mysticism mystery cults that the Gentiles would have been involved in on one hand, and then on the other hand, there was the problem of Jewish uh, Jewish uh, tradition or Jewish legalism. So, so the Colossians are hearing two different things from false teachers and even just from people in their community. As they tell other people in Colossae the gospel, as they meet people in the market, and as they talk to their families about how they're followers of this Messiah who is crucified, uh, the pagan mystics are telling them, oh, no, you, you don't have enough. That's a great start, but if you're really going to be religious, if you're really going to get on good terms with the gods, you need to join one of these mystery cults. You need to do one of these practices. You need to go to one of these secret cave meetings. And on the other hand, the Jews are telling them, yeah, you're you're kind of connected to the one true God, but there's a lot of other stuff you're going to have to do if you really, really want to be on good terms with him. And we've got a list. Here it is. So the, the challenge then for the Colossians that Paul's dealing with in chapter 2, the, the challenge for them is to wrap their minds around all that they have in Christ. And the truth, that is enough. That in Jesus, if you know Jesus by faith, you have full forgiveness with God. You are fully reconciled to Him. You, you can't be more right with God than if you know Christ. There's no secret religion and there's no Jewish tradition that can make you on better terms with God than you already are if you have the gospel. That's what Paul is emphasizing in chapter 2. But as they are cautioned against giving in to the false teachers, as they're cautioned against mystery religions and rules and restrictions, there is always the danger of a pendulum swing in the opposite direction. 
misunderstood grace can often be translated to spiritual apathy. So Paul's understanding some wrong ways they could respond to all these these amazing things he's told them about Jesus. And one of those wrong ways they could respond is to say this. If Jesus really does all of this for me, then spiritually I'm okay. I don't have to do anything. That's a danger. So that's why in chapters 3 and 4, Paul moves from telling them who Jesus is and what he has done to now telling them in the last two chapters of the epistle how they respond to who Jesus is and what he has done. So we see in the beginning of chapter 3 this pattern that recurs in a lot of Paul's letters. The beginning of the letter has an exposition of truth and the second half of the letter has an explanation of how we live in response to that. So this is all true about Jesus, but what does that actually mean for me? How do I think differently? How do I live differently? Paul is really keen to anticipate those questions. He wants to answer that. So in our text, in the four verses that we've read, the the apostle is telling the Colossians how their identity in Jesus ought to be the basis for how they live for Jesus. All right, let me say that again. Paul's telling them that in these four verses, their identity in Jesus is to be the basis for how they live for Jesus. We could say it like this. Paul is teaching that our identity in Christ transforms our outlook in life. Our identity in Christ transforms our outlook in life. In life. Now, notice the first seven words at the beginning of verse one, the first seven words of our text. This is, this is kind of like the first falling domino. And when this domino goes down, a lot of awesome things are going to happen after it. Everything after this conditional statement flows beautifully out of this. And here's the statement here's the first domino. If ye then be risen with Christ. That's a big domino, isn't it? <laughs> If ye then be risen with Christ. Paul is confronting them with a theme he's talked about over and over again. Their union with Jesus Christ. And that really, when it comes down to it, that's what it means to be a Christian, you know. If you went to a large city in the United States and surveyed people and asked them what it meant to be a Christian, you would get all different kinds of responses. A Christian is someone who, who goes to church or who gives to the poor or who does this or that or who was raised a certain way. But, but Paul would say at the end of the day, a Christian is someone who has union with Jesus. They're in Christ. So he returns to that at the beginning of chapter 3. If ye then be risen with Christ. They already are risen with Christ in a way. Now, we need to see this verse in light of the whole New Testament. Jesus' physical resurrection, we could go to 1 Corinthians 15, where where Paul makes it clear Jesus' physical resurrection ensures our physical resurrection. Okay, In the New Testament, resurrection isn't just spiritual, but it is here. So it's not that we don't get a physical resurrection. I mean, if you're, if you're in Christ, if you're a Christian, you will get a physical resurrection. It's coming. But not only does Jesus' resurrection ensure that for us, and I'm looking forward to it. Jesus' resurrection also means a new way of life in the here and now. 
Yes, because Jesus is is risen, I'm going to get a new body someday, and you are going to get a new body someday if you believe the gospel. But Jesus' resurrection, while it doesn't do less than that, it does a lot more than that. When Jesus defeated sin and death, he changed how we as his followers live. He changed life in the here and now. Because Christ is raised and with the Father interceding for us, our high priest, we have also been raised with him. By the way, I should ask, have you been raised with him? You, you, you may not necessarily have been raised with him. But the good news of the gospel is that you can be. You can be. Paul says to these Christians in this, in, in this young church, this is who you are. Remember, you have been risen with Christ. Now live a resurrected kind of life. For the believer, this is where our identity begins. When we have the question, who am I? And who am I in this world? Who am I really? This is where the answer begins. Now, Paul is going to go on and relate three truths about this identity in Jesus. Here's the first truth. We see it in the second part of verse 1 and then verse 2. Being in Jesus, number one, being in Jesus defines our purpose. Being in Jesus defines our purpose. Look at the end of verse 1. The next domino. Seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Then he tells them, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Now, Paul is not telling his readers that they need to spend their time only thinking about heaven in in geographical terms. I mean, it would be really hard to serve Jesus the way we have been called to serve Jesus, the way the Bible describes what it means to not only love God but love our neighbor if we were just sitting around thinking about gates and golden streets and that kind of thing. If your neighbor needs help and you tell them, well, I can't, I can't help you today, I'm just going to, I'm contemplating my mansion. Well, that doesn't seem to align with how the Bible teaches. We're, how to, uh, we're supposed to be compassionate and loving toward others. Seeking things which are above doesn't just mean contemplating heaven geographically. Rather, it means this, and we see this from what follows. Really, all of chapter 3, seeking things above means we see life from the vantage point of Jesus' throne. We prioritize things and values from our other kingdom, from above from where Jesus rules, from where Jesus reigns. Uh, Paul is saying that we recognize and prioritize the rule of Jesus, that we see things from his perspective. So the church in Colossae, then they're supposed to do this. They're supposed to look at their city, their neighbors, their friends, the, the, the whole Roman Empire, everything through this lens. Jesus is seated with God the Father. Jesus is seated with God the Father. It's not incidental that he talks about heaven where Christ sitteth at the right hand of God. He's not just throwing in a nice-sounding phrase. This is how he wants them to think about their life. Jesus has supreme power and authority. Look at your life this way. Look at your challenges this way. Look at your day-to-day decisions this way. Jesus is on the throne. 
When Paul tells the church to set their affection on this, he's telling them to give careful consideration to this, to, 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 to focus on this reality, to make this prominent in how they see everything. Christ is sitting at the right hand. Christ is sitting at the right hand. Paul's not saying we can't focus on anything that happens in our earthly existence. No, we live our lives stuck on this globe. While we're not of this world, we are certainly in this world. We're very much in this world. But as we are people that are in this world, we know that Jesus is Lord of the universe. And so we, we have our priorities then set accordingly. You see, the Colossians' feet are very much on the ground. They're still living normal lives in the first century like you are today. But while their feet are firmly on the ground, their minds are on Jesus. They're seeing things from his perspective. So being in Jesus defines our purpose. And the second, being in Jesus guarantees our security. Look at verse number three. He goes on further. For ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. Now there's this, the theme of security was very prominent in how their neighbors thought about the dangers of the world. Uh, For for people living in in the first century where uh, Christianity and the idea that there was only one God, that hadn't permeated their society. Most people uh, in Colossae weren't monotheists. They weren't, and they certainly weren't Christians, right? So the Colossians were surrounded by people that, that saw it this way, that there are different gods and different spiritual entities that kind of rule the world. And uh, if your harvest doesn't go well, or if you have children that are dying, you've got to figure out how to placate these various evil deities that are destructive and are basically running the show. So as these these different cults and mystery religions formed, they kind of formed around this goal. They would give people something to make them feel like they were safe. They would give these religions that the Colossians were being tempted with we're giving people things to make them feel like they were protected from these evil demonic spirits that ruled everything, or these different pagan gods. But Paul says something totally different. Their life is hid with Christ in God. The idea of hiddenness that Paul is borrowing from the Psalms, hiddenness shows up in the Psalms over and over and again. And if you go back and look at the Psalms and see when this idea of being hidden in God or being sheltered by God uh, shows up, it carries with it the connotation of security or safety. In other words, God's taken care of them. God has them. They're safe. They're hidden. Hidden from what could destroy them. Hidden from the the evil things that would otherwise run the world. They are safe in Christ. And there's a double fortification here. They have a relationship of security in Christ. And Christ is in God. You get this? They are united to Jesus. This is wonderful. And, And how secure is their union with Jesus? How sure is it that they have security in Christ? How sure is it that the Son is in union with the Father? That's what Paul's saying. They are as safe in Christ as Christ is with the Father. How secure is it that they have forgiveness, that they have justification, that they have righteousness? How sure is it that Jesus is on good terms with God the Father? 
How will they know that God will never condemn them for their sin? That God will never take sides against them, even though they're flawed and they make mistakes? Would God ever take sides against Jesus? They are hidden in Christ. And Christ is in God. The powers of this world have no claim, no judgment to dole out to them. Because the Christian is dead to those things in Christ. They are dead to those powers, and they are hidden in Christ. But our being in Christ has a dual meaning. Not only does this speak of safety and security, but it speaks of us betting our meaning in life on him. The picture kind of works like this. We don't use the phrase hidden in something, but we use a similar phrase when we say that someone is all wrapped up in something. So if we say someone is all wrapped up in some sort of uh, political revolution to like take over a country, you know, if, if the revolution goes well, they're going to be doing great. And if it doesn't go well, they'll, they'll get the guillotine. They were all wrapped up in it. They were completely invested. They bet everything on its success. When we say someone is all wrapped up in something, we mean that that this person has invested in a cause, in an idea, in a group, or in a person so deeply that if that thing fails, they lose it all. And Christians are all wrapped up in Jesus. Our righteousness is as secure as Jesus is. Our success to have eternal life, our success to have future physical resurrection, our success in spending eternity with a God who loves us is just as secure as Jesus is because as Christians, we are all wrapped up in him. We've placed our bets completely on him and it's a winning bet. Being in Jesus guarantees our security. And then third, notice verse number four. Being in Jesus determines our destiny. Being in Jesus determines our destiny. We've already read it, but isn't it good enough to read again? When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. You know, when when people forget their identity, they not only lose touch with who they are, but where they are going. If if you've had a relative who has either suffered with amnesia or maybe dementia, I've known people in in our church back home that have had family members that have had dementia. And, um, you know, there comes a point where they're driving somewhere and they can't remember where they are going. They can't remember where their destination is. And then they don't know how to get back home. It's a terrible, tragic thing. But when we have spiritual amnesia, something similar happens. We forget where this all ends up. (laughs) We forget where our being with Christ, where our being in Christ takes us to. What the end goal is. And here's what it is. It's our appearing with Jesus in glory. We don't know how a presidency is going to end. We don't know how a nation is going to end. We don't know how a society is going to end. But Christians have an answer to the question, how does it all end? And if you know Christ, here is how the story, the big story ends. You and I get to appear with Jesus. That's that's how it ends. That's where the Colossians were going. 
That's what they were in danger of forgetting. Notice, I love this phrase, when Christ, and he says, who is our life. The message of Christianity is not that you should try out Jesus or that you should add Jesus to the various things in your existence. It's more radical and demanding than that. But it's much better than that, too. Jesus was their life. And the people in Colossae that followed Christ may have not had money and they may have not had status and they may have not had connections or influence, but they had one thing. Christ was their life. God himself, who came in flesh, was their very life. He was their everything. No matter if outside of that everything, they had a lot or nothing. They still had him. They had Christ. And one day the Christ, who is already our life now, will appear to be our life forever in new and better and unimaginably wonderful ways that we can't even begin to fathom. This Jesus to whom we are united, this Jesus that that we are wrapped up in, this Jesus who is supreme above all, who is sufficient for all that we need to be right with God, this Jesus will one day have his glory revealed. And by the way, that is enough for pure joy and encouragement, but that's not all. Not only will one day Jesus be revealed, but we get to be revealed with him. We get to appear with him. Different and better than we are now. Have you ever been given access to something that you didn't have any right to yourself? I don't know if you've ever been in a, in a country club that you couldn't get into otherwise, but somebody went with you. I've never been because I don't golf, so I've never even really wanted to go to a country club, but maybe you have. You got in because of somebody else. Several years ago, the first time I went to the the theme park Universal Studios in Orlando, my uncle was working there. He had this executive pass because of his job. And when we would go in the theme park with him, we could go to any attraction, any ride, any roller coaster, and we would just walk to the front of the line. I mean, it was amazing. You really save time. I mean, people go to theme parks and pay a lot of money to stand in line for long hours with loud kids. It's really interesting. And they didn't do that because of me. It wasn't me. No, no employee came up to me and said, man, you're a tall drink of water. Why don't you get on this roller coaster? Sit in, just get in front of everybody else. They didn't do that. No. I was with somebody else. There was another outside of me. He had the credentials. He had the merit. He took me to the front of the line. And when we appear with Jesus, so it will be. We will be, because of another, glorified. Because of another, we will be with God in a way that we've never been with Him before. Because of the merits, because of the credentials of somebody else, we get to appear with Him. Identity in Christ transforms our outlook in life. Because we are in Jesus, it defines our purpose, it guarantees our security, and it determines our destiny. I just want to use the balance of my time, if I could, to make a few points of contact. We, we have a need, as the Colossian Christians did, to remember who we really are as followers of Jesus. We can be prone to spiritual amnesia. We can forget who we are. So then how how do we respond to this text? I think the first thing we can do is just check for signs 
You know, different diseases have symptoms. Spiritual amnesia has symptoms. Do you get up each morning and, and face the rest of your day, first and foremost, as someone who is in Christ Jesus? Or have you forgotten about what is most important about you? Ask yourself this, to do this assessment, to see if you have any of these symptoms. What can go well and and make you beyond happy, just ecstasy? But if it goes poorly, you will be hopelessly angry and desperate and devastated. What is that thing that has that level of control over you? That, That could be really how you see yourself. That could be the fundamental way that you think of your identity. If you find your identity primarily in being liked, then you'll be brittle and prone to be on cloud nine when when people are kind to you or maybe even flatter you. But then if, if you are gossiped about or slandered or people just tell you that they disapprove or dislike something about you, then you'll fall apart. If you have an identity based on, based on being liked, it's, it's kind of like uh, paper mache. I mean, it can just crumble with one malevolent person. If you find your identity as, a, as kind of a political addict, and if your, your party's doing well, things are happening that you like, then you'll be doing great as long as they do well. But half the time, they won't be doing well. <laughs> And you'll be devastated. If you find your identity in being a successful parent, then to the degree your children turn out well and others are impressed by them, you'll feel great about yourself. And as long as the positive comments keep flowing in, that that they're well-behaved, or maybe when they're adults, that they're very successful and empowered and competent, then you'll feel great. But if one maybe goes astray or maybe just disappoints you or doesn't meet your expectations, then because you've built your identity on people liking how you do as a parent, you will be destroyed. You'll fall apart. You see, there is nothing outside of Christ that we can hedge our bets on that won't eventually let us down. Let me ask you this. What is it in your life that you have presumed will last as long as you do? What if it doesn't? What if it doesn't? What do you do then? There's some very practical things we can do as we remember our identity in Christ, remember that we are risen with Christ and combat spiritual amnesia. You know, one of the things we can do is to prioritize meditation. How, uh, what we fill our mind with will determine how we see ourselves. And for the Christian to faithfully remember his identity in Jesus, it is going to take meditation. there are some things that kind of have to sink into your soul if you want to change how you see the world and how you see yourself. Do you meditate on who Jesus is and on the scriptures? You may object and say, oh, I don't, meditation sounds weird, or I don't even know how to meditate. It's, it's, It's actually not super complicated. 
Have you ever worried about anything? Maybe I'm not the only one. Okay, Some, somebody has. If you've ever worried, you know how to meditate. Because you take one thing and you just think about it. It just means to give sustained attention to something. If you've ever been bitter, if you've ever held a grudge, you know how to meditate. You're already, you're already doing it. I already do it. I'm not asking you to, to do something crazy. When I ask you to prioritize meditation, I'm just saying meditate about maybe something different than you've been meditating about. You're all professional meditators, and so am I. But do we meditate on what we have in Jesus? Is that a priority in our lives? Another thing you can do is to, to pray uh, to pray about your identity in Christ. Now, there's a spiritual discipline called the prayer of recollection. Sounds really complicated. All it is is this. I used to read one, and then I, I kind of internalized it. Okay? Now I get up in the morning, and this is the first thing I think. I don't have to read it anymore. I just think it. God, whatever I do today, help me to do this in Jesus. Help me to see myself not just as a father, not primarily as a husband, not primarily as a student or a preacher, but help me to, do, to live my life today as a Christian. I just say that when I wake up. Do I always live by that? No. But, but prayer is, has this amazing capacity to reorient our souls to our day. Prayer is a way of just helping us follow Jesus for the next 18 hours. You know, if you go back to chapter 2, verse 12, we have a great, great picture of what it means to be a Christian, what it means to have a Christ-centered life. Chapter 2, verse 12, he uses the metaphor of baptism that we are buried with Christ. You know, one of our goals for a believer in Jesus could just be this, that we try to live every day remembering our baptism. I mean, not just, you know, remembering your baptism certificate or what it felt like to go in the water, but remembering what it represented. That you've died to the old life and that you've been risen again in a new life. So have you been suffering from spiritual amnesia? To whatever degree that we have neglected who we are in Jesus and what we have in Jesus, let's confess our neglect and our sinfulness to God and let's leave from this place remembering, hey, above all else, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. Let's all stand. Father, we thank you for your word to us tonight.